Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report's weekly cyber report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Last week, we attended the Reagan National Defense Forum at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum, where we met with Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall to discuss the service's new B-21 Raider bomber by Northrop Grumman, and also how to improve force-wide cybersecurity. Before we get started, our daily coverage is sponsored by Bell. Our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security, as I mentioned, sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications, sponsors our command and control coverage, and our coverage of the Halifax International Security Forum, as well as the Reagan Forum, were sponsored by Leonardo DRS and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems. Here's our conversation with Secretary Kendall. Sir, it's always an honor and a pleasure, and I want to start off by congratulating you on your uh, bouncing baby bomber, uh, the B-21 uh, Raider that was unveiled uh, over uh, on Friday at Palmdale at Air Force Plant 42. Thanks, Vigo. It was, it was a great day yesterday. My, my wife sent me a meme from the internet of a car salesman patting the top of the bomber and saying, this baby can pack a lot of deterrence. Absolutely true. That's exactly what we're buying, and uh, it's, it's a great program. Got a long way to go, hasn't flown yet, and all programs have risk, but we're pretty happy with the progress so far. Uh, and, it, it, you know, I remember when it was awarded in uh, 2014, there was a protest period, uh, and there is this sense that the program has moved pretty quickly, but our mutual friend Tony Capasio Bloomberg pointed out, uh, you know, he said, I don't want to channel my uh, inner Larry David, uh, but curb your enthusiasm. There's still another uh, 78 years uh, to go before uh, the, the program comes out. I want to focus this conversation more on cyber and your thinking on cyber. Last year when we met at this conference, you talked about the imperative of making sure that not just new weapons, but that the cyber element, um, that, that cyber was critical to war fighting uh, and, and that there was going to be investment uh, by the United States Air Force to improve cyber and we would see that reflected in the budget. I know you can't talk about the budget because it hasn't come out yet. Uh, but really quickly, um, on the B-21, there's a sense that it has moved quickly, whereas others would say it's about where a program of this complexity would be. What are some of the things that we learned from F-35, uh, which was a scar scarring experience for all people who, was, who were involved in it, and other programs that made this program maybe move a little bit more quickly, clearly, uh, and rapidly to the point where we do have six prototypes at this point, and that's a pretty good thing to do in about an eight-year period. Yeah, the program was structured by Bill the Plant and I primarily when we did the Milestone B, started engineering manufacturing development. Uh, basically, to be a reasonable level of risk with a reasonable expectation uh, we could execute uh, scheduling cost-wise. Uh, this is, I would put it, more in the normal basket. The F-35 is a very much an outlier among programs. Incredibly complicated design. Three airplanes basically in one. Uh, all had to be designed simultaneously. All had to work. And um, a lot of complexity. A big leap ahead in terms of technology. The B-21 is an increase in technical capability too, but not in the scale that the F-35 was. So complexity is the thing that drives more than anything else. This is a complex airplane. Uh, we took the Secretary of Defense through the factory before we did the rollout, and he got a chance to see that. The, um, the, I, I have to give some credit to Northrop Grumman. Uh, they've executed reasonably well. The program office has done a good job. Uh, there's a lot of risk in any of these programs. We're doing something that's never been done before. Uh, we're extending the state of the art, and you know, that is, has inherent risk. 
Well, we took some of that into account as we structured the program. We didn't take crazy risks. There were some very big risks taken on the F-35, and there was a price paid for that. So we wanted to avoid that. Uh, and so far, so good. Um, the program has a ways to go. People can expect any development program to have problems. Uh, I doubt that the B-21 will end up being an exception. Uh, it hasn't been perfect on schedule execution, but it's done pretty well. And we're looking forward to getting it into the inventory as quickly as we can. Um, how do you respond to the criticism, right? I mean, having tracked this program from its inception and advocated for it uh, many years ago, the, that there was a concern that it is being a medium bomber, that it's too slow, uh, too small, too slow, not enough range, right? 20,000 pound payload, 4,000, four, four to 6,500, depending, I believe you said 6,500 at the ceremony. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, very much B2-like uh, in its speed at a time when we need greater range, greater payload capability. How do you respond to those who say that, look, this artificial cost constraint that we put on the program yielded an airplane that might not be as suited to the future challenges we face than it should be? Yeah, I can respond, Vago, but I should point out that I'm, I have a recusal on the B-21 because I was consulting for Northrop when I was out of government. So I'm not making any decisions on the program, but I, I can give you some feedback on that. I was there when we went through the family system study in 2010 or so, um, and what drove that was that the expected high unit cost of a larger bomber was going to be exorbitant. And Secretary Gates at the time said, you have to go back and relook at this. We have to do something that's more affordable. As I think Jack Vesey, former Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, said at one point, quantity has a quality all of its own. If you make the individual items too expensive, you're gonna have a very small number. And that's where we ended up with the B2. That's why we have only 20 of them. So we, we wanted a, a unit cost that could give us an affordable fleet that would be a meaningful size to do the kinds of operations we envision we might have to do. And I think the B21 did a reasonably good job of that. Um, there are always trade-offs in these things, but the bomber fleet needs to be different places to do different jobs simultaneously. And that requires quantities. Uh, you want to, uh, going up against defenses of certain types, you want to be able to do different things and pose different problems to the enemy and not limit the things that he has to deal with. So there's some good reasons to go in the direction we want. And I think it'll be a very powerful uh, part of the force structure once we get it out in, in quantity into the force. Uh, there, there are some who believe that this could actually be a template for an NGAD, uh, right? Larger airplane, enough payload range, and a different take on what a fighter aircraft or a combat aircraft as we've envisioned it could be. And as a medium bomber of that size, there's a sense that it, it is there, is there anything to that line of thinking that this could actually be a template for a different kind of air dominance airplane for the future? Well, I'm not going to get into any details on NGAD. Uh, NGAD is, you know, envisioned as a replacement for the F-22 fundamentally. And it's an air superiority focused uh, platform. It's going to be a family of systems. There are going to be other things, including the young crew combat aircraft, in the mix with NGAD and possibly with our other fighters as well. Um, so, I, 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 without getting too specific about this, again, quantity does matter, right? And for that mission, uh, numbers matter. And so, I, I don't see us going in the kind of direction you just described, quite frankly. Um, let me uh, take you to uh, security and the cyber portion uh, of our discussion. At, at the Reagan Forum here, it was a fascinating uh, panel uh, you were on. It was you, uh, Senator Angus King, uh, the co-chair of the Cyber Solarium uh, Commission, uh, one of the most extraordinary and successful efforts with Mike Gallagher. Uh, big shout out to uh, the uh, Wisconsin Republican who's done a terrific job leading that debate as well, along with Senator King. Uh, 
General Nakasone was uh, on your panel as well, the Cyber Command Commander and uh, NSA National Security Agency Chief, and of course uh, from Booz Allen Hamilton as well. Um, talk to us a little bit about the cyber uh, elements, not just of the B-21, but the approach that the Air Force had last year when you and I spoke, you know, you said that we are going to be focusing more on cyber, both for existing and new systems to harden them, to improve uh, defenses. You know, you, you uh, adequately said that we're not going to discuss anything on the offensive side of that equation. Talk to us a little bit about the approach and some of the things that, you know, B-21 and other systems are getting because foundationally it's easy to, easier to design it in than apply it at the end. Yeah, cybersecurity is my priority. Uh, the the effectiveness of all of our warfighting capabilities, strategic or, or or conventional, depend upon having adequate cybersecurity, and that's true for our things that are already in the inventory that have been in the inventory for quite a long time in some cases, as well as the things we're building. I think we got much more serious about designing cybersecurity in within the last decade or so. So the things that are more recent, um, I think we've we've done a lot of de design discipline, if you will, to ensure that cybersecurity is designed in. And before we get authority to operate, they're reviewed very carefully for that. It's part of the testing program. When you look back at some of our older systems, and you also look at uh, some of the infrastructure systems that we depend upon, that I mentioned support functions like personnel and medical support and transportation and logistics and so on. Uh, we got to make sure those things are secure as well. And the fundamental mission of both the Air Force and the Space Force is to be able to fight if asked to do that. Uh, and you can't ter deter very effectively if you're highly vulnerable to cyber attacks. And you certainly can't fight very effectively. So that's first on my list. There are also opportunities on the cyber side to go after some of the other guys' capabilities. And I can't say, as you said, much about that. But we pay, we pay attention to that too. But my, my priority and my fundamental concern is about the cybersecurity of the things we would rely upon to do our, our military missions. Uh, when, when I mentioned uh, future budgets and the reviews we did, some of them were focused on, uh, in particular, the mobilization and go to war and how you support the force side. That, that had a very heavy cybersecurity emphasis on that. We have uh, looked at what we call tech debt, which is the, the, in, the IT systems, the information technology systems that we've had in the field for some time that we rely on. We've got to go back and modernize some of those, so we've got to burn that, that debt down, if you will. And we've also got to ensure that the things we depend upon, many of which are connected to the commercial internet, essentially, uh, are cyber secure as well. Let me um, pull on the thread of the administration's requirement whether on software and hardware, to have bills of origin and materials. This is incredibly important and it's astonishing to me that because we cover cyber closely, we talk a lot about it from a cyber community standpoint, but it's astonishing how many people in the rest of the defense community don't fully understand the implications of that. Um, we're doing this specifically to find out whether or not there's compromising Russian or Chinese hardware and software embedded in our systems because five layers down, there very well could be Chinese chips, for example, in a high-end weapon system. The revelation, however, will drive you to actually have to fix it. What's your expectation, what's the thinking, and what's the potential budget implication for the Air Force if you discover, you know, God willing, you go through this process and you say, okay, it's relatively small, but there's a concern that it actually might not be small at all and may be very significant. How are you thinking through this as a leadership team um, and, and approaching this because there is a concern this is a massive extant vulnerability that will be exploited by adversaries. 
Yeah, I wouldn't characterize it quite that way, but it is a risk that we have to manage. And it's not a new problem. When I was an undersecretary for acquisition technology and logistics, we put in place, place the first round of requirements for industry to have cybersecurity uh, in their systems, basically, that they use to support us. And for our primes to flow those requirements down to their subs. So, and, and there have been a couple of iterations of that since, right? That's been, that's been underway for a long time. There is an overhead cost associated with doing this, but it's a cost we have to bear. Um, you know, it, it's, there's no question that our potential adversaries are trying to penetrate our systems. Uh, they're doing it for combinations of reasons, intellectual property theft, espionage, uh, and potentially to, to put malware in that they could exercise in a, in a crisis. So we have to be aware of all that, and, and we are. And as I said, for the things that have been developed over the last decade or so and, or less, uh, that's being designed in. The standards evolve, the threat changes, but I think we have our arms around that pretty well. Uh, we've also got to go back and, and do what we need to do to the things that we already have. And that's a risk management problem. Uh, we, we haven't got infinite resources, of course, so we have to figure out where the, where the greatest risks are and where the payoffs are to, to address those. Um, you, uh, pride yourselves on, uh, you pride yourself on always making metrics-based decisions and also being able to measure progress demonstrably. What are your measures of progress uh, when it comes to cyber and cybersecurity? Uh, it's compliance with standards fundamentally and uh, assessing our programs, assessing our products, assessing our systems to ensure that they're, you know, understand where they are on a scale of, you know, fully compliant to something less than that. So we do that kind of a metric, a dashboard kind of a metric, if you will, to, to, to manage that. Um, industry, one of the things I don't think we've done well enough is to enforce our contracts effectively. It's the reason the previous administration tried to create a new system to, to help with that. I, th I think the government has an obligation to enforce its contracts, and if it doesn't, uh, you can't expect compliance. So there's, that, that has to happen, and I think we need to get better at that. The, uh, one uh, last uh, question, uh, and which is what do you want, what kind of help do you want from industry, right? I mean, almost everything in cyber is about a partnership. As Senator King today said, you know, 85% of it exists in the commercial world, and that's where the vulnerability lies, and indeed made an excellent point that the future of warfare will look very different because of cyber uh, as uh, a consequence. What do you want to see from industry? What's the help you want, whether from small innovative guys or big guys to help? And, and what are the biggest problems you need solved fundamentally as the secretary? Yeah, this is a shared problem. And the companies I was involved with when I was out of government uh, happened to be in parts of the business where they took cyber very, secure, very seriously. And they were developing state-of-the-art capabilities. They had good cyber controls in place. Um, they had access to information about the threats that the government needs. We need, we need basically to work together on this problem. We need collaboration. Uh, we need identification of best practices. We need identification and, and knowledge of threats as soon as they materialize, wherever they materialize. So under the Defense Industrial Base Program, some of that's been happening. But I think we need to up our game. Uh, and the more we do this together, the more secure we're all going to be together. And it's a, it's a goal we should all have. Let me ask just one uh, quick follow-up, because you mentioned also the importance of people uh, ultimately in the organization, right? I mean, without it, you don't really get anywhere. Um, there are friends of mine, general officers in the Air Force and the other services who said, look, we don't understand cyber the way we need to understand it as, as commanders. Uh, this is something, because of your industrial background, you understand more uh, than the average bear. Where do you think the Air Force, what do you think the Air Force is getting right, and where do you think the Air Force is not getting it right and needs to do better 
whether from a basic airman all the way up to uh, a general officer level or even a Frank Kendall level? <laughs> if I had to answer the second question, I'd already be doing it, Vago. Uh, for the first question, one, we're focused very much on people and expertise. We've, uh, I've made conscious decisions to increase the number of people at senior grades that we're promoting who have a cyber or an IT background. We need people in the, in the room who really do understand cyber and haven't just learned a few buzzwords about it. Uh, and the way you get that is by bringing people with that kind of expertise to the table. So we're increasing the number of general officers, for example. Uh, we're looking for qualified civilians. Uh, in, in general, we're trying to educate people and give everybody in a, in a position where cyber is important to them, and that's almost everybody, a fairly basic understanding so they can have intelligent conversations about it. We're not gonna make everybody an expert, but we wanna make everybody knowledgeable enough that they can understand the nature of the problem and the sorts of things they, they need to be doing about it. And so they can check. Uh, but we also need to raise the level of expertise. I, I've watched the cyber trajectory, if you will, over the years, particularly in cybersecurity. And over the last few decades, we've gotten much better at this. It's become a much more sophisticated, much more well-defined discipline. So we're making good progress. But the threat's changing too. As technology changes, we have to change with it uh, and respond to new threats that emerge. So it's always gonna be a dynamic environment. But I, when I compare where we are today to where we were a decade or two ago, it was the Wild West once. It's not that anymore. Companies who are willing to make the investment organizations are willing to make the investment, can make themselves reasonably cyber secure. They just have to do the work. Are you satisfied your industrial base is as secure as it needs to be? Never. <laughs> uh, I don't think we'll ever be fully satisfied with where we are. Uh, one of the reasons is we keep bringing in new companies, right? And as we bring them in, we need to get them to, uh, to up their standards to be compliant. And we need to make it as easy and as painless and as uh, uh, cost as, as economic as possible for them to do that, but they have to do it. Sir, thanks very much. It's an honor and pleasure as always. Always fun to talk to you, Bago. Thank you very much.